We wouldn't have thought so either, would we? We would have expected Jesus to do exactly what every other dead person that we ever came in contact with would do as well, and that would be stay dead. And that is why the, all of the gospel accounts after the crucifixion, we don't see any of Jesus' followers counting down from 10 down to 1, waiting for Jesus to come back, saying, hold on a minute, wait now, wait, 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 it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There's no one outside of the tomb because they did expect Jesus to stay dead. Mark chapter 16 says there in verse 1, it says, When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. See, when Sabbath was over and they could leave their homes again, and some of the women who followed Jesus, they went and they bought some spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' body properly. You see, I believe at this point their heads were spinning because everything that had happened had happened so fast. I mean, on Wednesday they were with Jesus and everything was fine. Thursday they were with Jesus. He was still alive. Friday they hear that Jesus has just been arrested and by Friday evening they hear that Jesus is dead and he's buried. Everything happened so quickly they were stunned, they were in shock, their emotions were all over the place. You see, they believed that Jesus was a great teacher sent from God, a miracle worker. And they hoped, really, they hoped on hope that he would be the one, he would be the Messiah. But clearly they were wrong. Because God would never allow his Messiah to see that, be crucified. So they watched Jesus die and they saw how Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea probably went to Caesar and, and paid him some money in, in a bribe to get Jesus' body. And they watched as, as they took Jesus' body down off the cross. And in a rush, because Passover was coming, they hurriedly buried him in a tomb. Now that they knew where Jesus was laid, they all went home to their own homes. And, and for the next two days, they, they were in their own homes and they must have been in utter shock. At the speed of the demise of this one who they'd pinned their hopes on, that might be the one that God would send, the Messiah. So after Passover, they decide they have to do something. So they go out there and they buy some spices and embalming stuff and some other paraphernalia. And their plan is that they're going to go to the tomb and they're going to hopefully find someone that will give them uh, entrance to the tomb so they can go in and properly embalm Jesus' body. And it says there in verse 2, it says, Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Luke talks about this story too, and he gives us his account in Luke 24 and verse 1. He says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Here's the thing that we need to know. Jesus' closest followers went to the tomb not expecting to see no body. The thought had never crossed their mind that Jesus had been resurrected. When Mary and the other women looked into the tomb, they assumed exactly what we would have assumed. 
that Jesus' body would have still been there in the tomb. And what they actually thought was that somebody had came and stole Jesus' body. That's what they actually thought. John chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. In Luke's account, he said in, in, in verse 11, he said, But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. So here's the thing that, that people today who don't believe in a resurrected Jesus have in common with Jesus' closest followers. Although they believe that Jesus was a historical person who done some real good things and, and done some miracles maybe, they, they believe or they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's okay. Because Jesus' best friends and closest followers didn't believe it as well. When they discovered that Jesus' body was missing, they thought someone had taken the body. None of them assumed resurrection. They assumed that Jesus would do the same as every other body that they knew that had died, and that would be to stay dead. But Peter and John, we know Peter and John. Peter and John had to go and investigate. They had to see for themselves. They had to check this thing out themselves. And we read in Luke chapter, or in Luke 12, we, uh, in verse 12, we see Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves. And he went in, he, uh, sorry, and... Uh, uh, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves... And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Wondering to himself what had happened. Do you see that? Peter didn't go away rejoicing. He didn't go away shouting and praising God. He went away wondering what the heck has just happened. And it's important for us to understand. And it's so often overlooked by us believers today and it's, it's all right through the four Gospels. It, it talks about how those closest to the event, how those who stood at the bottom of the cross, how those who watched Jesus being buried in the tomb, how they all expected him to stay there. The same people who went on to be the first evangelists for the Christian faith documented their own disbelief. These were men and women who at this point had given up all hope. The dream was over. The one sent by God to be their Messiah, they thought, was gone. Game over. Full stop. John chapter 20 and verse 19 says, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Do you see that? They were living in fear at this time. They were living in fear. Because of the events that they witnessed over the last couple of days, they were in shock and they were in fear. They were in hiding from the Jewish leaders. I'm sure they thought that if they can come and do that to Jesus, that 
the next thing they're going to do is they're going to look for Jesus' followers and, and they're going to try and wipe them out as well. You see, we, from our vantage point, we're looking at it from nearly 2,000 years later. From our vantage point, we're looking at it and we're thinking to ourselves, why weren't they out in the streets saying, praise God, we told you so, this was going to happen. But they weren't. They weren't gloating. They weren't praising God. They were in hiding. And they were probably trying to work out within themselves, how do we wind up this Jesus movement without getting any further trouble brought on ourselves? Because they were afraid. And then Jesus showed up in the middle of them. And they react in the same way that I think any of us would react if a person that had just recently died was to come and stand in our presence. They, they, they reacted the very same way. Luke chapter 24 verse 37 says, And they were startled and frightened. I'd say that was the half of it. I'd say they were absolutely shocked. Thinking that they'd saw a ghost. Can you imagine it? Jesus walks into this group of people that are hurt, frayed, confused, sad, emotional, heartbroken, and he just scares the life out of them because they expected him to stay dead. I think Jesus just stood there with his greatest big smile on his face, a kind of a grin on his face, and he says to them, Why are you troubled? And why are there doubts in your mind? You see, because every time that they were in a frightening situation, Jesus would ask them, why are you afraid? Remember the time when they were out on the lake and the boat was filling up with water and there was a big storm and Jesus was sitting there in the top of the boat, fast asleep, not just dozing, not just nodding, he was fast asleep. And the disciples came and woke him up saying, hey, hey, wake up, Jesus. Are you not concerned that we're all going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he said, why are you afraid? And I believe that's what Jesus says to most of us too when we find ourselves going through frightening and scary situations in our lives. I believe that he says to us, why are you afraid? You see, because if you have Jesus, you have no need to be afraid. Amen? Amen? So Jesus shows up in this room right there in the middle of this bunch of men who had just seen him crucified and died. Men who knew where his body had been placed and assumed that somebody had came in the night and stole his body. And he shows up and he asks them this question, why are you afraid? I would have thought that that would have been fairly obvious. If it had been me, I'd have had an obvious answer for him. Verse 44 says, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Do you hear Jesus' voice here? He's trying to, you know, probably, you know, if it was, you know, I would say frustrated, but it's Jesus. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets. Jesus said, were you not listening to me when I told you? When I opened up our scriptures and showed you in our scriptures in the writing of the prophets that this is what must happen to me, were you not listening to me? <clears throat> they weren't. They were switched off. But then that was nothing new. Because every time that Jesus tried to tell them about what was going to happen to him, and he told them many times every time they switched off. 
And I believe we do the very same, don't we? Every time that we read in the Word of God something difficult, something hard that God requires us to do, like forgive, or pray for that person, or give, or love, sometimes because we find that hard, we switch off, don't we? And this is what the disciples were doing that day when Jesus gave them all these prophecies about what would happen. They were switched off. Verse 46, and Jesus told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then he looked them squarely in the eyes and said something so colossally important Something that would change their lives. And the reason that we're sitting here today. He looked at them and he said to them, You are witnesses of these things. And they were. They were witnesses of the events that changed the world. They were witnesses of the events that launched the church. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus that created Christianity. Amen? It's the resurrection of Jesus that launched the church. You see, the church didn't create the Bible, nor did the church create the story of Jesus. It was the resurrection of Jesus that launched the church and created our faith. You see, before the resurrection of Jesus, there were no Christians. And after the resurrection, everybody had given up hope. Or or after, sorry, after Jesus died, everybody had given up hope. Nobody was going to start the church movement at that stage. Nobody was going to keep the parable of the Good Samaritan. Nobody was going to keep the parable of the prodigal son. Nobody was going to keep or stick to any of Jesus' teachings. And definitely no one was going to go out there and start teaching any of Jesus' teachings. Because every time Jesus taught, he taught about himself. And if he taught about himself and that got him killed, well then, I ain't going to go out there and teach in Jesus' name, am I? And besides all that, if everything he said about himself was true, then there was no way that he would have been arrested and crucified and killed. So really, maybe he couldn't, have, he couldn't be who he claimed he was. But you know what? The resurrection changed all that. Amen. 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 Think of it. Peter and John and Andrew and Mary, they all said that nobody was expecting to find nobody. That they expected Jesus to stay dead and stay in the tomb. But here's the thing. The reason that we believe that Jesus rose from the tomb today and is alive today is because of their testimony. Amen? We don't believe... Because the Bible tells us so. We believe because of the witness, the testimony of these people tells us so. Amen? You know, there's so much evidence for the resurrection that in any court today, they'd still have to turn around and declare to be true. Even in the most secular court. You see, if you don't know anything about law... Um, when, when there's a case to be had, they will, they will go and they will try and find witnesses. 
And they'll ask these witnesses to give their testimony of what they saw. And the more testimonies of what they, of, of what they saw that they can get, the more sure their case can be. And we have so much testimony of the resurrection of Jesus that even in a court of law today, that they wouldn't have a hope of disproving that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why we believe. Amen? Because of their testimony. Amen? We believe because Matthew, as an eyewitness, he took the time to write himself an account, warts and all, of everything that he himself had witnessed about the life, the ministry, the words, the, the arrest, the death, and the doubt, and most importantly, about the resurrection of Jesus. We believe because Mark, he spent some time with Peter, and he wrote down Peter's account, account of the life and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe because Luke, a few years after, he went and he gathered all these witness reports together, and he put together uh, probably the most accurate gospel in the gospel of Luke because he got so many witness reports and he put them all together, talking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe because John, as an eyewitness, was probably the closest follower of Jesus that we know, who took time himself to write us an account of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe because James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe Jesus while he was alive, but after his encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he himself declared, and, and he wrote us an account saying, He is my Lord and my God. Anybody here with brothers today? What would it take for your brother, for you to declare that he was the Lord? It must have been something amazing. Amen? For James to declare after his death that he is my Lord and my God. Amen? And we believe because of Paul, who never met Jesus that we know of while he was alive, and who set out on a mission to persecute and destroy this early church the way because of an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road, had his life turned completely 360 and went from persecuting the church to being one of the ones who advanced the church more than any others. We believe because of his account. It's not enough to say, I don't believe the Bible. And many will today. So many people out there who say, I don't believe the Bible. It's, it's fiction. Or it's only written just to suit what Christians would want people to believe. It's not good enough to say, I don't believe the Bible that says that Jesus rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. We believe the witness accounts that are recorded for us in the Bible of the resurrection of Jesus that's what our faith hinges on. Amen? Amen? These men who documented the ev the, these events, the ones that showed Jesus in a good light and also showed themselves in a bad light, they wrote him anyway. They gave him to us anyway. They documented these events and that is why we say that the foundation of our faith 
is an event. The foundation of our faith is not the Bible. It's an event. Amen? Peter, who believed and then unbelieved, praise God for Peter, followed Jesus and then unbelieved in Jesus, and then he ran, and then when he was confronted by a 13-year-old child, said, I'd never believed. And then when he met the resurrected Jesus, he re-believed. This Peter, who tradition tells us was beheaded by Nero in Rome because of his faith in this resurrection Savior. I mean, if, if these men had any doubt at all in Jesus, they would have just dispersed. Amen. They would have just left down their, their, their tools and they would have just said, right, let's just leave this, let's close this chapter, let's walk away. But they all in turn went and gave their lives for this way, this move of God, because each and every one of them had encountered a resurrected Jesus. I mean, what was in it for them? For them to make these stories up. What would have been in it for them? Absolutely nothing. Amen. I mean, they walked with Jesus three and a half years, and when Jesus was crucified and when he was buried, they went back fishing, the fishermen. They were trying to distance themselves from this move. But when Jesus showed up there on that beach and showed himself to them, to be resurrected, to be still alive. These people who were willing to, to give up everything because he was dead, now all of a sudden were willing to give up their own lives to see the advancement of this move of God. Because, because they encountered the resurrected Jesus. This same Peter who before his execution, he sat down with, with Mark and gave an account of Jesus' life. And then later on, he would sit down with another scribe and he would dictate two letters that we still have today. And in one of those letters, Peter in his old age, looking back at the events of Jesus, he says in, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we could ask Peter today what was the foundation for his belief in Jesus, he would tell you not because of the Sermon on the Mount, not because he walked on water, not because he took a coin from a fish's mouth, or, or not be, because of any, any other thing that he did, but he would say because he rose from the dead and he is alive today. Peter would say, my faith was resurrected in Jesus when I saw him with my own two eyes living and alive. Peter goes on to tell us that into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that's kept for his children. Those who will come after him and who would believe in him. Not because of anything that they saw, but because of the eyewitness accounts that they would read, the testimonies that we have today, that inheritance that we have today, because we believe today, not because of anything we've ever saw, not because of any encounter with Jesus that we ever had, but we believe because of their account, their testimony, 
And we have this inheritance given to us by Jesus because we believe, not because we see, but because we believe the testimony of those who did. And he said that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. This inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Our inheritance. That if we believe in the testimony of Jesus, that we too won't taste death, that we too will inherit eternal life. And that's why Easter matters. That's why the resurrection matters. Not because of this book. This came hundreds of years, was put together hundreds of years after the events of Jesus. We don't believe because of the book, but we believe because of the eyewitness accounts that are given to us in the Word of God of the truth of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why we believe. That's why Easter matters. Amen?